Good morning. We travel around a lot. I've been traveling all summer uh, speaking and um, visiting churches and just catching up with family. And it's, it's so great to be at Hebron because I actually know most of the people out there. And uh, many of the places we go, we, the churches are very supportive, but we don't have that personal connect. So it's, it's fantastic uh, to see so many familiar faces. Um, Kelly's over here uh, with my son Kai, and for those who don't know me, my name is Dan Waitman. I'm the executive director of the Caribbean Youth Network, and our family is uh, one uh, missionary family that this church has been behind for many, many years. So as we go to God's Word together, I would invite you to pray with me and ask God to bless our time in His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the worship that we have sung to you in praise. You have brought joy to our heart in that. And Lord, now we go to your word and we are excited to hear what you have to say to us. And we pray that we would find joy in that as well. We pray, Lord, you would speak to us individually and collectively. In Jesus' name. Well, for those who know me... Um, I, I'm a runner. I, I wasn't always a runner. I was a soccer player. And I got really excited about running when, when Kelly and I lived on Long Island, Bahamas. It was a long island, and you could see literally for like a mile or two down the road. And I, I started running one mile down the road, and I'd come back, so that was two. And then you go two miles down the road, and then it's four. And then you go down a little more, next thing you know, you're going six miles and you're running 12. And then somebody told me that if you go 13, that's a half a marathon. And I was like, well, I'll try that. Next thing you know, I ended up running a marathon or two, and that was fun. And then I ended up running what they call an ultra marathon, which is anything more than 26 miles. And my longest run was 70 miles long and through the Laurel Highland Trail. And it was one of the greatest days of my life. But my journey to running started out when I was in college uh, being, I did a road race. Kelly invited me to do this road race. It was Halloween, and we were, we, we, it was like a dress-up thing, and I didn't dress up. I came to win. Uh, I was a college athlete, and I, I said, you know, I can run, I, I, even though I've never really run a road race. So we get to the starting line. I'm looking around at the competition, feeling pretty good about myself, and I look beside me, and I see a guy, I think it was a guy, dressed up as an, a yellow M&M. Like, and it, it was a big, like, costume, like, like big M&M, little eyes, little yellow tights. And I said to myself, I remember this, I will not lose to that M&M. <laughs> Whatever happens today, that isn't happening. So being my first road race, like most rookie runners, we line up, everybody's excited, Gun blows. Guess what I do? I run as fast as I can. Classic rookie mistake. Because I'm, I'm there to win, right? So about a mile in, I realize I've completely overdone it. It's a three-mile race. Mile two, I'm exhausted. We get to mile three, and it was at night, and there were, there were shadows. And behind me, I see this big, like, circle starting to like overtake me. It was at that point I realized it was the yellow M&M. And he was coming, and he was coming fast. So it wasn't long before he was beside me, 
Yellow M&M, me, he was ahead, I was ahead, he was ahead, I was ahead. Finish line's coming, sprint toward the end. I'd like to say I beat the yellow M&M that day. I did not. The yellow M&M took me. And his pursuit at the end was just, it was relentless. He wouldn't, he wouldn't relent. He just kept coming. No matter how fast I ran, the M&M was matching me stride for stride. When the Bible, we see that God is relentless in his pursuit of us as well. He doesn't pursue us to, to overtake us or to defeat us, but he pursues us that he might catch us. So he might secure us into his family. And it's that kind of like bold, aggressive, M&M-like, never giving up pursuit that we discover in our scripture that we're going to look at in just a few minutes in Luke 15. In that chapter, if you're familiar with it, we find three parables. And in those parables, we find one big lesson. And the lesson that we find in there is that, that God is a pursuing God. God is a God who pursues the lost. And the reason for Jesus coming to earth was to chase us down, to seek us out, to search for those who are lost and in need. And in the three well-known parables that we're going to read about in Luke 15, Jesus vividly illustrates for us what the pursuit of the lost looks like. But before we get into the text, before we go there to Luke 15, I want to talk just for a few minutes about this word lost that we find in the Bible. Because we see this word twice in a parable about a lost sheep. We find it twice in a parable about a lost coin. And we find it one time in a parable about a lost son. Now I have a slide for you. We can bring up that slide. We all know about losing things. Which of these are you most likely to lose? All of the above. I hear you. I hear you, Dolly. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, yeah, definitely the, the phone. Uh, the phone is my weakness. Always losing them. We, we all know what it's like to lose something. It's frustrating. It's annoying. One study, there was a recent study, it's found in the U.S. that the Americans spend 2.5 days a year looking for lost items, which costs roughly $2.7 billion in replacement costs. And maybe worse than being lost, losing something is being lost, right? How many of you hate to be lost when you're on vacation? Yeah, worse than being lost in a car is being in a car with someone who hates being lost in a car. It's the worst. But luckily with cell phones and GPS and Google Maps, it's a little harder to get lost these days, but it, but it still happens. The truth is there's nothing more hopeless or frustrating than losing something important or not knowing where you should be. Well, Jesus takes this word lost that we're all familiar with, and he applies it to those people who are not in a relationship with God. And in the, in the original language, in, in the Greek, this word lost, it, it has a really strong connotation 
To be lost is, is a lot more serious than how we casually throw out the word today. In biblical Greek, the word lost is actually a word that means being in a state of ruin. It means to be utterly destroyed, to waste away, to be totally decimated. That's a lot different than we're like, I was lost on vacation, right? Those aren't the kind of terms that that come to mind. But in the Bible, when we hear the, the word lost, that's what we should be thinking. Elsewhere in Scripture, those who are lost are described as being hostile to God. They're described as being separated from God, having no hope. They're described as in a dominion of darkness or even being under condemnation. Interesting, John 3.16, a verse that we all know really well. For God so loved the world that he sent his one only, only son, that whoever believes in him shall not what? Perish but have everlasting life. That word perish is actually the same word lost that we're going to see in the scripture we're going to look at in a minute here. So when we hear God saying that he pursues the lost, we're saying that God pursues people who are perishing. He's pursuing people who are wasting away. He's pursuing people that are in a state of ruin, decimated by enemies, That God is pursuing people who are not in a relationship with him. These are the kind of people that God pursues. Lost people. And that's why Jesus tells us the parable that we're going to read here. To a bunch of Pharisees, religious leaders. And this is the context that Jesus is talking. And he's blowing the mind of the religious elite about who God is interested in pursuing. So our passage begins in Luke 15. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it. Um, I have most of the scriptures are going to be on the screen, but it's always great to track along in your own scripture, on your phone uh, or in your physical Bible. The chapter starts like this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now these are people who represent lost. And we can only conclude that they were, they were drawing near to Jesus because they felt comfortable around him. Jesus wasn't passing judgment on them or looking down on them, but he was compassionately speaking to them about their lost condition in a way that they could understand. It's very clear in the story that, that G, the context is Jesus is showing them love. He's showing people care and concern. And they're literally just clamoring around him to hear more about what it means for them who were lost. But as we get to verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders, they begin to grumble about Jesus. And they say, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. It doesn't take long before the tender moment in verse 1 is disrupted by these self-righteous and judgmental religious leaders. Never in a million years did these scribes and Pharisees think that God was a God who would seek after these sorts of lost people. There's a commentator, William Barclay, he's very insightful. He says this about what Jesus is doing here, what he's saying. He says, no Pharisee had ever dreamed of a God like that. A Jewish scholar has admitted that this is one of the absolutely new things that Jesus 
taught about God. That he actually searches for us. A Jew might have agreed that those who came crawling home to God in self-abasement and prayed for pity might find it, but he would never have conceived of a God who went out to search for sinners. To say that these Jewish religious leaders, that they were offended by what Jesus was telling these people would have been an understatement. But look at the parable as Jesus tries to drive home this point that he pursues the lost. The first thing we see is a parable about a lost sheep. It says in verse 4, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. I found my, my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This parable, we, we learn about one little lost sheep that was in danger who was on his way to destruction. This might be the easiest question in the morning, but who does the sheep represent? The sheep represents us. It's you, it's me. We know this also in Isaiah 53, 6. Jesus is building on the imagery of, of that verse. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And then there's the shepherd. Who is the shepherd? It's Jesus. John chapter 10, Jesus makes it clear. He is the, not just a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes and he searches for the one sheep and he searches for it until he finds it. And when he finds it, the story says they're celebrating and rejoicing. And then we, we get, a, get another story for these religious leaders to, to drive home the point that God is a God who searches and pursues the lost. Verse 8, it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp, Sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she found it, she calls her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there will be joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now in this story, the coin represents Something of great value. Some scholars think that the coin might have been like a denarius, which would have been something like one day's wages. There's other scholars who think that maybe the coin represented something that was a little more nostalgic. It was customary that in, in some parts of the Middle East that people would wear coins on different parts of their body or, or around their neck as jewelry. And so this would have been sort of accustomed to losing your wedding ring. It would have been a big deal. And that's why she's so happy when she finds it. And the woman puts everything on hold, we see in the story, doesn't she? she? She stops doing everything. She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. The word, she seeks diligently. So it's very intentional. Nothing gets on the agenda until what is lost has been found. And once she finds it, she tracks it down. Once the pursuit is over, again, there is celebrating and rejoicing. 
And then there's a third parable that Jesus tells in that same chapter about a lost son. Now, we don't, have, we don't really have time to go through the entire story. It would definitely be a sermon unto itself. And I, I, I'm going to trust that most of us are familiar with this story. But it's about a young man who's immature. He goes to his father. He requests his inheritance. The father, brokenhearted, breaks down and willingly gives the son what he asks of him. Bible tells us that the son goes into a far-off country, implying that he wanted to be as far away from the father as he could be. And he squanders the estate. He wastes it in what's called reckless living. It was soon after that that he, there's the son, he hires himself out to the people of the land, and he ends up feeding pigs. And for a Jewish person to be even around pigs, much less feeding and living with them, would have been the most humiliating thing that could have happened. This son had reached the bottom of the barrel. But look at how the story ends in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, that's key here, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him and he ran. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, to run as the head of a household would have been, again, a very humiliating act. He ran through the town after this son who had given him the greatest of insults so that he might embrace him and kiss him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Put shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. Kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this is my son. He was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he is found. And again, they began to celebrate. Now for me, that's a great picture. It's an awesome image of a father running to hug and welcome his lost son. Friends, the good news for us this morning is that we have a God who is still running after us and he's still pursuing the lost today. And as we read these three parables, as we look at them and think about them, there's one big idea that just jumps off the page, and that's that God pursues the lost. But after looking at this passage and thinking on it, I want to add just a few words to that point. And it's that God pursues not just the lost, but God pursues the one who is lost. Did you notice in, in the passage how the word one was inserted into each of those stories. It's, it's highlighted over and over again. In biblical times, they didn't have highlighters. The way that, that things were emphasized was through repetition. And that's why we see that word pop in again and again. This is what some have called the value of the one. In the first story, what 
what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he's found it? Just so, I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons. And again, in the story of the woman, we see the woman having 10 coins if she loses, how many coins? Just one. One of the coins. She probably had others, but it was the one that had value. Does not light the lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently. The father, he had how many sons? He had two. But his concern was for the one that was lost. And we see later on in the story, he cares for the other one too. But he has great concern for the one that was lost. We see the value of the one in the searching that takes place. The leaving of the 99. The turning the house upside down. We see the value of the one in the celebrations that takes place. The picking up of the sheep and putting it on his shoulders victoriously. The woman calling her friends and saying, rejoice with me about the one coin that I had lost and found. The father throws the party for the one son that was lost. He puts the best robe on him. The ring on his fingers and the shoes on his feet. We can't really read these parables without seeing the value of the one coming off the page. That's why Jesus went on this ultimate search and rescue mission to leave the confines of heaven to search for the ones that were lost. In Luke 19.10 it says, For the Son of Man he came to seek and to save the lost. That is the entirety of the good news for us, is that lost people were sought after and found by God. That's why Jesus came to earth. He lived a perfect life that we could never live on our own. And then he paid the punishment which none of us would want to face on the cross. It was the ultimate way God would show that he's a God who pursues the lost. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still lost, he died for us. So here's our application for this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not in a relationship with God, the Bible tells us that you are lost. And that's not just a casual word as we've seen. It's a serious state of your soul. It means that you are under condemnation. It means that you are separated from God. It means you're in a state of ruin. Maybe you got lost like the sheep and you just wandered off. It wasn't intentional, but you found yourself and right now you feel like you're in a lost condition. Maybe like the coin, it was just it was just carelessness, careless decisions, careless choices. Maybe, maybe you feel lost or are lost today because you're actively rebelling against God. Perhaps God brought you here this morning, lost as you might be, so that you might hear this message and surrender your life to Christ. If that's you, my encouragement is very simple. Give up going your own way. Give up doing your own thing. Give up running away. 
Because you can't outrun God. God's been described as the hound of heaven who chases down and seeks those who are lost so that he might secure you for eternity. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're lost. Now, knowing this this group, I would say the vast majority of you are here because you've been found, correct? And that's good news, and we're here to celebrate, and we're here to worship a God who has rescued us from being lost. And so if that's you, the call for you this morning is an encouragement to continue to join Christ in his pursuit of lost people. To join Christ in this relentless, aggressive, compassionate, focused pursuit. Be like the (laughs) M&M. Be like the M&M. Not to overtake or to defeat, but to help and work with God as he secures and rescues lost people. Now, I'm a missionary. I have the privilege of every day waking up and committing myself fully to the task of rescuing lost souls in our context in the Caribbean and particularly in the Bahamas. That's our passion. And you as a church, you've joined us in that since the beginning of rescuing lost young people in a particular part of the world. And just as a way of conclusion, I want to share with you a couple of pictures. My hope is one, to encourage you about how you have been a part of a rescue mission, a pursuing of young people in the Bahamas and what God is doing, but also as an encouragement for you to keep doing the same here in, in your front line, here in Penn Hills and beyond. So here's a couple of quick pictures of what it looks like for us to rescue the lost. For us, rescuing the lost begins with training and equipping people to be able to go out into their communities and be able to serve and speak the good news of the gospel to those they know. And so this is a training uh, that we've done over the, the last couple of months. Uh, we've, we're able to, to have a 30 to 35 of our leaders uh, be a part of an equipping of, so that they might be able to rescue the lost, which leads to our next picture. These are a group of leaders that we work with in Nassau, Bahamas. Um, each of them are involved in either a high school ministry, a college ministry, a young adult ministry that's committed to rescuing lost souls for Christ. We've been very excited that, that God has blessed our efforts and, and we've been able to to get on the University of the Bahamas campus. This is a Bible study area that we use and a few students having Bible study. Last year, we had over 100 students attending uh, Bible studies on a weekly basis. There's three different groups that met. Uh, we, we're, it's so exciting to be on a, a college campus because there's lost people all around. And uh, we just get to know them and they get involved in our community and they hear about Christ. And many, many of them start to ask questions, and others start to follow. Jesus says, go and make disciples of the nations. That's the commission of each of us who follow Christ. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is a group of students who have made commitments to Christ and they're publicly professing their belief 
in their commitment to follow him through baptism. We have the best place in the world to baptize students. It is, it is just pristine. So we have a lot of fun. But there's a lot of people in the background just walking the beach, Taurus. It's a powerful witness. Uh, we have high school ministry has always been a focus of what we do. Uh, so is the next slide. It's just camping ministry. For us, summer soccer has become an, an awesome way to reach young high school students for Christ. In July, we had three weeks of summer soccer camp. We registered 85 students on any given week. Uh, we were able to, to have about 40 of them there, and we did Bible study with them every day. It's really fun when, when it's really hot out. They get there at 9, and by 10.30, they're just begging to have Bible study under a tree. <laughs> Works every time. But, uh, but they enjoy it, and we had fantastic discussions. Uh, here, here's just a picture. Uh, one of the ways that me as uh, a guy my age who can't even beat an M&M uh, stays relevant to young people as I coach uh, high school soccer. And so this is our girls and our boys team. Uh, it's an inner city school. Uh, most of those students are Haitian immigrants uh, who had come to the Bahamas with their families. Um, they're Creole speaking, and, uh, and we have a great time with them, and many of them have gotten involved in the ministry. Uh, a group, a big part of that group also is, is getting involved in our leadership program. So uh, yeah, there's a guy with trophy there. I do win things now and again. Well, I didn't win, I coached, they won. Uh, but but we, we are the first high school team, public school team to ever win the national championship this summer, or this, this school year, so that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I give it up for the kids, they did real good. Uh, we had an awesome season, and uh, again, just a fantastic way to reach lost students and, and help them to see Christ. So, when we're lost, we move when we're found. And, and Danny spoke about that in the scripture. We positionally change from being lost to found. And the Bible tells us that when, when we, we, we're found, just like those kids up there, we become more than conquerors. And if you're here today and you're you're found, you are a conqueror. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Christ did on your behalf. And for that, we have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be joyful for. And we have a great opportunity, if we've been found, to help others to become found as well and to share in the Father's goodness, just like the Son did. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these these parables, they're familiar to us, many of us, but they still speak a tremendous truth, and we're, we're so thankful that you're a God who rescues the lost. I pray for any here this morning that are lost, that they would look to you to become found, and for those of us who are found, Lord, we, we thank you for that, that you've pursued us, that you've rescued us, that you've saved us, and that we join you in your mission locally and even in the Bahamas. In Jesus' name, amen.